Good. Uh, I'll wait another minute or two. Can you hear the sound that's coming up from outside of my house? That's a yes, yeah. I have no idea. I already uh, called the sound police on those people but because uh, they're very loud. <laughs> I'm just trying to get them to turn it down a little. But it may be part of our meditation. Welcome everybody, nice to see you all. If we haven't met, I got some waves, okay. I'm Eugene Cash, this is the Sunday night meeting of San Francisco Insight. We'll sit for about a half an hour and then there'll be a talk and discussion. Please uh, put yourself in the seated posture, whether you're on a bench or cushion or chair. It's very helpful if you can be as upright as possible, meaning that there's an uprightness from the base of the spine that goes all the way through the back of the neck without being stiff about it. And as I mentioned earlier, if you just came on, there'll be some, I've got some extraneous noise here in my neighborhood that's very loud. It's actually not even on my street. It's in the Golden Gate Park and it's, somebody's playing a very loud boom box. So that'll be part of the meditation is sound meditation. So, but again, beginning with your body, and letting your attention begin to saturate your physical, somatic, energetic experience of being alive.
and being mindful of the body, the first foundation of awareness, means to be experientially aware of our aliveness. And we could just start right now by being aware of where we're sitting and the sensations that are created by the sitting posture. The contact of our rear end with the bench or cushion or chair. Or you might be aware of the contact of the sound with your ears when I'm not speaking. And of course, that could be a very uh, fine, precise object of meditation is sound. Being aware of sound happening, which will include my voice, but will also include music you may not want. But you could just be aware of sound, of hearing, of the space of awareness that includes sound happening when it's happening on its own. Also, when we're aware of the body, we may be aware of the fact that normally, naturally, mostly effortlessly, the body is breathing. And you may be aware of those sensations that happen as the body breathes. be very skillful to stay with the body and the breath as a focus of meditation, as a way to center, calm, collect, unify the consciousness, body and mind. If that works for you, please trust your guidance here. Or you could be aware of sound as the main anchor of your meditation. As the main object. 
and relax around the sound as you're aware of it. Noticing how the sounds come on their own and you can simply let them happen and be aware of them. Whether you're using the breath or the sound as your object, stay very present, very mindful, very aware of the main focus of your meditation. And of course, if you feel very centered, very collected, calm, aware, you can then open a field of awareness, the space of awareness, to be aware of whatever is predominant in your experience, whether it's the breath or sounds or other sensations in the body, or any feelings or thoughts or other experiences that are beyond feelings and thoughts. You can begin to rest in the awareness that's aware of whatever you're aware of at any moment which may include things that you like or don't like or want or don't want, but you can rest in the knowing, rest in the awareness that's right here. The awareness that's doing itself as we become mindful of what we're aware of and what's aware of what we're aware of.
Whether you're aware of the breath or the hearing or the various display of aliveness that appears moment by moment, the same guiding principle is at play. Stay aware moment by moment by moment to this experience of the breath. Or, this, or the hearing, or whatever you're aware of.
everybody. We have some announcements. Nina? Thank you. Okay. Good evening, Sangha. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, my name is Nina Gold, and I'm one of the board members here. I'm going to talk for a moment about Donna, which is the Pali word for generosity or giving. Oh, I'm seeing a chat. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Just looking at a chat that was coming through. Uh, so Donna is the Pali word for generosity or giving, and it's really um, at the foundation of our practice. It's you could think of it like the root system that has kept this practice growing, flourishing, and alive for 2,500 years. And so what that means here at San Francisco Insight is that we're actually kept alive by your generous giving. So for example, if you um, offer your Donna as a financial contribution, those monies go to pay the teacher, to pay our bills. Um, if you offer your Donna by volunteering, that helps keep our organization uh, functioning. And if you offer your Donna by showing up with your whole heart, with your presence, by engaging and asking questions, that breathed life into the Sangha. Um, and given that this is such an important quality that the Buddha encouraged us to cultivate, I wanted to just offer um, an idea. So if we wanna cultivate something, how do we do that? It's by um, consciously bringing our attention to it or our intentionality and practicing in that domain. Uh, so a practice that I was taught a, a long time ago was to um, pick a period of time, could be an hour, could be an afternoon, a day, a week, where you hold the intention to act on every impulse of generosity that you feel. And what I notice is often there's an impulse towards generosity followed quickly by a thought or a belief about why I shouldn't do the thing. So anyway, I invite you, if this feels interesting to you, to take it on as a practice for some period of time this week and see what you learn about letting go, see what you learn about clinging, see what you learn about holding on and not wanting to let go, and let it be playful and fun. Okay. And then um, two announcements. Uh, so uh, San Francisco Insight has an ongoing class called the Midday Dharma Collective. We meet on Mondays at noon. It's a really great sangha, really great group of teachers. We invite you to join us. And then uh, San Francisco Insight will be offering an intro class that starts on September 15th, taught by Tam Spielman and myself. And um, it's five Thursdays, and the information is on the website. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Nina. 
Hi, everybody. Uh, um, if we haven't met, I'm Eugene Cash, and uh, tonight I'd like to talk about courage. And courage is part of practice and part of life and what that means for us. And the talk was inspired by reading an obituary of a man who died uh, after he got out of prison, after 44 years in prison. The man is Paul Red, And Paul was, uh, you know, he was in prison for something he says he didn't do. And, uh, and he said that until he died. Um, and I would like to read to you a little bit from this article about him. That was the obituary I read. And you'll get a little feeling for him, a sense of him, and a sense of his dharma, which was very powerful, very strong, and clearly very courageous in how he lived his life. And so the article begins, it says, on his first full day of freedom after 44 years in prison, he was up and dressed by 5 a.m. at the uh, Benicia home of his nephew. And his first request was to drive a car. His second request was to drive it to McDonald's for a Big Mac and fries. Um, he then went back to the house, his nephew's house, and set up a desk in the kitchen and got to work. And his nephew said he was focused on prison reform. The whole, he, was, he was free for two years before he died. And, and his nephew said, the whole two years, that is all it was. He said, there are a lot of good guys who don't deserve to be in prison, and I've got to get them home. So after 44 years, uh, you know, behind bars for a crime, he said he didn't commit. Reed got two years and one month before he got COVID and died on Juneteenth. And... Um, and his nephew said he was never bitter or angry or upset about the unjust system in the time he spent in prison. He was just all about change and tearing down walls. And he was convicted of a, of a murder in a drug deal that went bad in San Francisco. And he proclaimed his innocence, said he wasn't even in the city that night, but he was convicted. And then there was some recourse in the last few years. And so his conviction was downgraded to manslaughter and he was released on time served. But it said in this article that he was determined to be fully exonerated and use the hell he had been through in prison as a force for good. He would talk to anybody about it from street criminals to criminal law classes which he did at Boston University, which he, he zoomed in uh, in 2021. And Bob Thomas, who taught the class, said Paul spoke very powerful, powerfully about what it's like to have your life turned upside down by the machinery of the criminal justice system eager to take someone off the streets. And Bob Thomas was so moved by, uh, by Reed's, Red's Zoom appearance that he joined his pro bono uh, legal team to clear his name, a battle he says that will go on even after his death. 
And, and then Thomas says, he says, if you think about what it would be like to spend 44 years in prison and 30 years in solitary, I don't see how someone can come through that with any degree of humanity intact. Paul came through it with more humanity than many people who have never been to a prison. And this is just an astonishing thing to witness. And so Paul, uh, Paul Reed um, was born in 56, 1956 in Oakland. And in junior high, he and his best friend were climbing on a school roof and his friend fell through a skylight um, into a metal shop and was killed. And after that, he was never the same. And he got depressed and he started hanging out with a tougher crowd. And at 12, he had turned to street life, uh, which he wrote, he said, he said he was forced to give up his prize Spanish class in junior high. He said, so I turned to street life. Uh, in, a, in a book of poetry he wrote in prison called Roaring Free in a World Without Walls. He said, I do not deny I hustled and dealt drugs in the lifestyle I lived. Arrested three days after his 19th birthday, he was later convicted of the homicide in, that he spent 44 years in jail for. And in jail, he got involved in prisoner rights and took part in a hunger strike for better prison conditions. These factors got him sent to solitary confinement for some 30 years off and on, where he met Lisa Short and Mike Snedeker, two young prison rights attorneys out of UC Davis. They ended up representing him for two decades, including three appearances before the parole board, which he was turned down each time. And right away, he would start working on his next appearance. And Snedeker said, Paul is a testament to the power of our basic nature. Paul is a testament to the power of our basic nature. He spent a decade in the hole and it did not even dent his basic good nature and sunny temperament. And then it said uh, when he was, um, when he watched the proceedings um, about his resentencing, right? Um, uh, and the judge knocked down his conviction to manslaughter, he became emotional, it said, as he watched the proceedings from Vacaville State Prison, where he was working in the hospice program, right? And then he got out, and he got out after 44 years. And um, he was living in a place later called uh, Contico Farm, which was a social justice-based community for people in Oakland. And he befriended Morgan Curtis, who lives in a house on the farm. And Morgan said, the thing that was so noticeable about Paul was his strength of his spirit, she said. He was warm and always made you feel like he was so delighted to see you. And, and then, um, he started working for Yolanda Wong in the uh, a civil rights attorney in Oakland, and she assigned him to investigate the suicide of a mentally ill prison in Alameda. And he, he sleuthed it 
for uh, and got what she was looking for in 48 hours. And she said he was really a really smart guy with a great nose for information. And I was just so inspired to know that someone could go through that experience, what he'd been through, and still be hopeful and optimistic about life. And he'd been married in prison to some, to a woman uh, uh, who died before his release. And then in 2014, he met another person, another woman uh, who lives in Oakland. They come touch. They were in touch by phone and letters, and then became a couple. And she said the positivity and the smartness of his conversations is what attracted me. He was very driven in what he wanted from life, and that was to help others to travel and just be happy. So I'm just reading this about Paul Red and his kind of, I think, amazing life, what he's been through and what he dealt with and what uh, what I'm sure it daunted his spirit at times, but it never broke his spirit and his good-heartedness and his in-touchness with his nature. And to me, uh, what he did took a lot of courage to be real and to be himself and to stay close to himself, even if it meant ending up in solitary, which he did. And I'm not at all suggesting all of us, all of us have to go through his life because none of us will go through his life. But we can sometimes use the life of somebody who's been through that kind of life to start to put our own lives into perspective and to discover what it means to be courageous here and now in this life, in, in the life we have. And so courage is, um, it's a really great question about what is courage? What does it mean to be courageous? And as you know, I like to look up the dictionary and what the dictionary talked about courage meant to face ordeals and to gain strength in the face of pain or grief or courage is a response to difficulty that is challenging us. And if you're not muted, please mute while I'm speaking. Thank you. Um, and the word comes uh, from the French, courage, but originally from the Latin. It means heart is the root of the word courage. It's a heart word. It's a seed of emotional life, um, uh, uh, the heart itself. And courage points to what is innermost, what most heartfelt. And what we care about and what's important to us, what we value. And in the thesaurus, courage, uh, the words they had associated with courage were pluck or pluckiness and valor and a spiritedness and a mettle, M-E-T-T-L-E, mettle and determination and resolve and fortitude and you know one of the one of the factors of awakening is often called right resolve or some people translate it as courage the courage to practice the courage to awaken and and it really has to do with the ability to come forward to practice deal with what frightens us and maya angelou said courage is the most important of the virtues 
the most important of the virtues, because without courage, you can't practice any of the other virtues consistently. You may practice any virtue erratically, but nothing consistently without the courage, the courage to stay present, the courage to follow your heart, your values, what you care about, what's important to you with a sense of valor. And courage has many connotations and meanings for us. And, you know, people often, we generally, conventionally, we think, you know, things look courageous, like saving somebody's life or risking one's own life. And those are, those could be very courageous. And, but there's also other levels of courage just in our ordinary life about um, even um, if one is in an abusive relationship to leave, even though there's fear, taking the risk to, to make a change. And it's the risk is one of the characteristics of courage because difficulty and courage is related to fear or anxiety or apprehension or discomfort. And so I was reflecting about fear in my own life as I was considering this talk. And please, please yourself reflect upon your own fears in your life. What, when have you been scared? What's frightened you? What's, uh, what's held you back because of fear? And, and, and when did that happen? And, and how does it happen in big ways or in more subtle ways, more uh, uh, simple ways? You know, because we all have experiences of fear in very subtle ways and we can feel them in body, heart, and mind. You know, in the body, the, 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 uh, there'll be a tightness in the belly or the muscles will tense or will feel an emotional reaction, which often is fight, flight, or, or get frozen, one of those three. And, and, um, and that kind of fear happens individually. It also can happen in families or communities or collectively, it, depending on, you know, the whole, uh, uh, you know, if we're attacked, like the, uh, the Russians have attacked Ukraine, the Ukrainian people are afraid. It's a collective fear and it's felt individually, but it's also quite collective. And it's even bigger than that one collective because many people in Europe are afraid because of that war happening in Europe, which hasn't happened like that in some 50 years or so. Or, or more than that even now, which doesn't mean there aren't other places like that, but I'm using that example, meaning there's other places of war in the world where there's a tremendous amount of fear and the courage to face it is needed in every of those communities because you have to deal with it. Hmm. So personally, I was just remembering some of my times of fear when I was younger, which are much simpler. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before. When I, when I was a young man, I was living in New York and I was a, a very young man. I was 18 living in the Lower East Side of New York when it really was the Lower East Side of New York. And, uh, and I got mugged. 
and I got mugged a couple different times, actually three different times. And, and um, the first two uh, were really like no big deal. Even the second one was, you know, I, these guys grabbed me and they wanted my money and I gave them my money and I had like a dollar fifty. And they looked at me and they looked at, and they were like, oh, you don't have enough money here. And they gave me my money back and they left because, it, you know, it's like nothing for what they were looking for. But, uh, but the third time, it was a different, it was more political at the time. And I was actually got mugged for being a hippie and being at a demonstration. And these guys came after me and, um, and they just wanted to beat me up. And I remember my uh, girlfriend started screaming at the top of her lungs, screaming, screaming, screaming. And finally they stopped and they left, but it really scared me. And it was like, it changed my life, that fear, because I thought, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go un, unarmed again. Now, armed meant that what I did was, actually, I could show you what I did. I just realized I have it here. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't usually get up and walk around, but, um, what I did was I was into bamboo flutes at the time made out of bamboo, thick bamboo, like this. And so what I did was I would always walk around with my flute. And my flute meant don't fuck with me. And if I had anything else, nothing to do, then I would, you know. You know, I'd play the flute, so I'd have something to do, you know, waiting for the subway. <laughs> Funny, I haven't played that flute in probably a year. Uh, um, and there are other times in my life when I've been afraid um, and, and that those fears have impacted me or, or that's taken some courage to face the fear. And many of you know this, I was I swam in the bay for many years. I used to swim at the South End Rowing Club. Uh, no wetsuit ever, just so you know that. That was like the way to do it back then. Uh, and now people swim with wetsuits all over the place. But, but um, um, I was swimming and I decided to do the Alcatraz swim from Alcatraz to San Francisco. And I just thought, okay, I'll do it. And I'd never done a big swim like that. And I went to do it. And I remember going out on the boat and I was so scared, really. I thought, all I could think is, why the hell did I agree to do this? Why did I think I wanted to do this? But I did. So I, I went and I got out. And I remember being scared and then... Uh, looking around and seeing everybody else and not everybody was as scared as me but you could see it made everybody nervous right because you're jumping in outside right next to Alcatraz and you've got to swim and you can't even see from when you're in the water you can't see exactly where you're going to what we could see is there are two buildings behind aquatic part that's aquatic park that stand up and you aim towards those buildings but you can't see because of the curb and uh, and but it was 
it was great and I had a great time, but it, it took a certain courage to do it because I was afraid and it was, you know, not a problem. And so part of what it means to be courageous is to begin to metabolize our experience of difficulty, right? It becomes grist for the mill, which really the grist for the mill, what it produces is a courageous heart. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it takes courage to meditate because partly we're asking you and you're doing it even when you don't like it, even when it scares you, to stay with your experience, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. And whatever happens, we're saying stay present, stay aware, stay awake. And that's what you're doing. We're building that muscle even in the face of difficulty or fear or unpleasantness. Right? And there's so many difficult feelings that appear in meditation, at least for me, I don't know about for you. Anger, lostness, loneliness, sadness, boredom, judgment, irritation, right? Or, or just, you ever have a sitting where nothing is happening and it's just boring? And so, and, but the courage is to stay with it, stay aware and see what happens if we stay close to the liveness that we call boredom, you know, cause there's all this discomfort or uneasiness or whatever may come. And what we're doing is learning to come into harmony, into accord with what's true, into accord with what's true. And I, as I research, this talk, uh, Accord, has the um, um, uh, same root as courage, core and courage. It's same, it's a heartfelt thing to come in accordance with ourselves, to come into concord with ourselves, right? And to courage to act from our hearts and be very present with whatever is true. And I've had a lot of difficult experiences on, on um, medita in meditation uh, where I, I've gotten scared. Uh, you know, often before I go sit a long retreat for however long, a few weeks or a month or six weeks or longer, I get scared because I don't know what's going to happen. And it takes some courage just to go. And it's not a big rah-rah courage. It's not like I'm, I'm putting a medal on my chest, but it is a certain kind of valor that it takes to go through the fear. That takes courage. Mm. And you know, at, uh, at my first long retreat, I had a panic attack, but I stayed with it. I just stayed doing the practice while the panic happened and it and the breathing basically stopped and I was scared and I didn't know what was going to happen and it just went and went through me because I had the fortitude to just stay present doing the meditation that I was doing and there was one time in a in a meditation since a while ago this was uh, not on a long retreat but but it was deep uh, I had Tyrannosaurus Rex came and ate me up. 
which uh, is hard to explain how that can happen in a meditation retreat, but it did in my heart and mind. Some, I felt like I was getting chewed up, chewed up, chewed up, chewed up. And it was like Tyrannosaurus Rex was chewing me up and I was gone. And the gone was not a bad thing, but it took some fortitude, some courage to just stay with this feeling, which all I wanted was for it to stop of getting chewed up. <clears throat> Trungpa Rinpoche said, courage is a proclamation that every mind-heart state is workable. Courage is a proclamation that every mind-heart state is workable. Mm. It's interesting, the heartfulness of courage, because the terms that are contrary to uh, courage are faint-hearted. Like, like if you're not courageous, you're faint-hearted. Or spineless, you don't have that fortitude, that vumpness to really courageously sit through something. Henry Miller, the American author of the last century, he said, voyages are accomplished inwardly. Voyages are accomplished inwardly and the most hazard, hazardous ones, let me start over. Voyage are accomplished inwardly and the most hazardous ones, needless to say, are made without moving from the spot. Yeah, that's, pointing at what happens in meditation. And partly meditation's asking us to, to really have a bold and courageous and adventurous heart that takes us anywhere. Because the inner journey, this inner voyage, as Henry Miller puts it, uh, is going places that we haven't gone before. And it takes an adventurous spirit to say, let's do it, let's see what happens. And the sense of courage or boldness in whatever arises, whatever happens, allows us to open to whatever's here, including our vulnerability, including our total humanness. Courage and some of the translations I found, which I found a few, was uh, seemed to be as a mental or moral strength, and that's part of discovering our our fearlessness, our capacity to be fearless. So ultimate courage, or the fullness of courage, or the completeness of courage comes from understanding ultimately we have nothing to fear. To understand who we are, our, understand our nature, and to realize the peace of mind that's possible so we can be courageous in practice and of course, it's really important to be courageous in our personal life. E.E. E. Cummings, a great 
poet, author. He said, it takes courage to grow up and become who you really are, who, whoever that might be. And the courage to be real, to be ourselves in our relationships or with our loved ones or with our children or parents or at work or socially. The courage to be honest and clear as appropriate and of course uh, you all know that civic life takes courage in this ever-changing world because there's so much political fear and anger and distrust and unclarity mm. one of my teachers Hamid Ali he said real love is courageous it's strong it is no bullshit if someone does something hateful to you, you deal with it. But you do not stop loving. You do not eliminate the good just because there is bad. You do not eliminate what is you do not eliminate what is really there just because there is also things we do not like. So courage is in being real, and being real you are truly courageous to see both yourself and the other person as who they are, to the depth of who they are, the whole package, to see their nature even when we disagree with them. And I'll just say a little bit more, but there's so much paradox about courage, especially right now. Like, what does it mean to be courageous in light of the Roe versus Wade uh, insanity, in my humble opinion? Um, it's just, how do we find the courage to address and respond to ignorance? To really metabolize, if we're angry, how do we metabolize our anger and our frustration and get in touch with the energy of what it means to be pissed off and respond skillfully, respond courageously. Coco Chanel of the Chanel fashion world, when she was uh, alive, said, the most courageous act is still to think for yourself. And then she said a really interesting thing, the most courageous act is to think for yourself aloud, out loud. She's saying, don't just think for yourself, but also tell people what you're thinking. She came from a very poor background and became a very wealthy woman, fashion designer. Or you can hear the kind of political courage from uh, Malala Yousafzai, who said, and she's the woman, young woman, who was uh, who won the Nobel Prize at 17, who was shot being a, an advocate for uh, female education. Uh, she was shot uh, and survived the wound that the Taliban shot her. She said, I don't mind if I have to sit on the floor at school. All I want is an education, and I am afraid of no one. I am afraid of no one. And so there's a lot that can stifle our courage and our spiritual life, 
right? We can be afraid of a lot of things, of the changes that happen from practice and the losing of identity or being unsure of ourselves or the fear of the unknown. And it's an important part of our practice fear. And we don't want to ignore it or run away from it or dampen it. We want to be, we want to wake up through it, right? We don't just want to deny the fear or project the fear or dissociate from the fear, but allow the fear without reacting to see what's needed or how courage can arise by through our presence. The courage that's needed to follow the Dharma, even when it, it's uh, challenging us, even when it scares us. I think I'll end with this quote from Kabir, who said, when you experience your fear, you become fearless. All other fears merge with that fear. If you fear your fear, then you will become fearful. Be fearless and all your fears will flee. So those are a few thoughts about courage and fear and being courageous in our practice, in our meditation and in our, in our lives and in our uh, world and in our spiritual life. And uh, as always, I love to hear from you. Even if you feel shy, be a little courageous and speak up anyways. Uh, please raise your hand if you would like to speak and uh, I'll call on you. And then uh, and just the one thing as I'll do is I like to switch from, um, from uh, uh, the, the gallery view to the individual view when I call on somebody. And also, I always want to encourage people who haven't spoken before. It's great to hear people who have, but I, I really love everybody's voice is important and helpful in the room, more, and he more helpful than you might know, <clears throat> if that could be a little um, uh, support for you speaking up. So, uh, Melina's cross-step? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> Belina's believe, crossed up. Well, Isabel, actually. Hi, um, Isabel. Thank you, Eugene, for what you uh, shared today. I really, um, I really ad admire your courage to sit with the Tyrannosaurus Rex and and what you went through. Um, I um, could identify it because I've been going through, moving through a lot of layers of fear. Um, I, a question I was wondering if you could speak to a little bit about, I always like to understand more um, about what depth, what anxiety really is. And my intention, my idea is that it's kind of like the worry mind about and not being in the moment. Uh, that's one thing. And the other thing I wanted to mention <clears throat> is that um, sometimes I have, you know, I've gone through a big change in my life and it causes anxiety. Sometimes I have fits of like, some anxiety and fear and I also do THC mm -hmm. um, I mainly use it I don't use it a lot I use it sometimes when I do a hot yoga or for writing and stuff but I'm I've been told that it kind of has like if you use THC a lot it can have 
for like for maybe for relaxing and reducing anxiety it can also have a rebound effect and give mm -hmm. you produce more anxiety like when you're not on it and I was wondering if you knew anything about that and wanted to comment about that. Um, tonight, I'm not on, not using it, and I feel really a lot calmer, but this whole weekend was really hard for different reasons um, emotionally. And I, I'm just kind of wondering to what extent the uh, THC is affecting my levels of fear and anxiety, and that is creating sure. more chaos than I need to be going through. It's a good so, question. Um, Thank you. Um, when you say two THC, are you using active THC, meaning you get high from it, or is it? Um, the... Yeah, I'll I'll, um, I'll use sometimes I'll use edibles. Um, right. Yeah. That okay. Have I just THC wanted. I just because yeah. some of the, some people um, that I know, many people I know, take something that's made from marijuana, but it's you don't get high from it. It's got oh, CBD cannabis, cannabis stuff. Uh, what? Pardon? CBD? Are you talking about yeah, CBD? Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. So I yeah. just wanted to clarify. So here's two, a few thoughts. Um, I haven't smoked any pot in a long time, but I did many, many, I smoked plenty of pot in my life. And it can be anxiety producing was my experience. Often wasn't, but once in a while it would be. Um, and it's like any drug. We don't know what will happen when we do it. And, you know, maybe it's helpful for you, then you can do it. And if it's not, then you, what you might try doing is going for a period without it, like three weeks, and then a period where you do it for three weeks. And then you can compare the results because I don't know anything more. I don't know any other way to get the kind of information you're asking for that's really relevant to your situation and what okay. you're working with. Great, thank you, thank you. Sure, wait, wait, and then anxiety. That's a really great question. Um, in fact, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna look up the word anxiety right now. Anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, unease, blah, 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 nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension. Um, and it comes from the word anxious. Let me just see what else. Yeah. Yeah, I, there's not much more quickly that I could add except, um, all right, Typically, yeah, can lead to panic attacks, right? Which I, I what I mean you. is like, what is it in terms of mindfulness practice? What is what do they sure. say about it? Like, is yeah. it just a state of of being future? You know, I mean, I know it's a biological. I mean, you know, it can be really intensely inside of us in our mind. Right. But when it's in our mind, a lot of times, and I notice when I'm meditating, it's a lot of it is just reacting to thoughts and memories <clears> that are generating right. fears and stuff you you sound very clear about it and so that's really a good way to practice is be aware of all the components of anxiety which will include body heart mind thoughts and feelings and sensations and emotions and memories and ideas and projections and you can be aware of all of that and then of course be aware of what's aware of that because what's aware of that is not anxious. 
Yeah, and and see, and, but but if the mindfulness exacerbates the anxiety, then you, then back off. And and go focus on just one thing, like the breath, or your body sitting on the chair or wherever you are in order to bring some balance. And when there's enough balance, you can go back to the anxiety, to be yeah. mindful of the anxiety. That's skillful practice. Thank you. Great, thank you. Amy, hi Amy. Your talk has um, hit so many points for me tonight. Um, for me, courage right now is to not escape my experience of the unknown. I'm that, being. It takes a courageous heart sometimes. Yeah. Well, I'm in this wonderful, terrible space of I don't know mm. mind. I'm being worked up for lung cancer, and I'm, you know, in that part where you're just waiting. Yeah, you know, yeah. a biopsy next week, some result. you know. And what I'm being aware of is really two simultaneously of seeing how a huge element of me wants to take any path of escape mm -hmm. to imagination. Mm -hmm. um, to you know there's so numerous possibilities and they're all imaginary yeah and That's another good, part good, good good that you're aware of that yeah it's very part. very normal for the for the mind to do that for yeah. the ego to do that which is seeing the other part which is feeling it's a wonderful opportunity to really stay in front of the unknown even when mm -hmm. I feel the tension between the awareness and the content of the awareness and the discomfort that there's something spacious enough to be able to hold the tension of both those things. Um, I'm finding it a little, well, I don't know, more challenging or not. I've been living at City Center this year, San, mm -hmm. San Francisco Zen Center. Mm -hmm. And now I'm home without that container yeah. at refuge. Um, so I have to provide that container because well, during the yeah, meditation. It looks like you have a lovely container there. <laughs> it does. And so. Yeah. It's good to be aware of what's good. When you said resting in awareness, mm -hmm. I feel that it's so critical that I have to rest in awareness, that I can't be um, careless with my energy. I can't let it leak mm -hmm. um, and pull me too far. I mean, I know all this humanness is going to come up and it's going to express itself. Yeah. But to not be too taken, you know, to always mm -hmm. be able to check in with the body and check in with the body. 
Sounds um, like good practice. And I think what really made me feel happy tonight is when you were talking about um, Red and coming through, that his wish was to come through with more humanity mm-hmm. and a sunny disposition, a sunny temperament. And mm-hmm. if I could come through this with more compassion for my humanness, for mm-hmm. my humanity, and the rest of the world's humanity, and have some temperament. Um, this, that would be that would be wonderful. I'm Let, let's see what happens. But you know, you're already given your heart to practice, Amy. I have. Trust it. See where it takes you. I don't. You can't go wrong. <laughs> really, you may. It may not be fun all the time, but you can't go wrong. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm trying. Don't try too hard. Relax, also. <laughs> okay. Let me see who's next. Who's next? Andrew is next. Andrew? Oh, uh, I couldn't see the hand, Andrew. Thanks, Nina. Hi, Andrew. Hi. I only had it up like this. Yeah, but but it also it it merges with your your background there. Oh, um, yeah. I see. So um, thank you, Eugene, and everybody. Um, when you said you were going to talk on here, uh, well, this is you know perfect. Um, I guess it's my it's my theme in a lot of my in much of my life, but it's more of it's more on the surface right now than it normally is. Um, and just like for uh, context, I lived with panic disorder and mm-hmm. was diagnosed with agoraphobia when I was a teenager. D- diagnosed what? With agoraphobia. When uh-huh. I, I was a teenager, I don't sit at home, not that kind, but more like other, other kinds of symptoms panic attacks and um, less perfect with the sirens going. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Maybe they're uh, responding to your call. <laughs> I don't think so. I was so I was so mild about it. I said, "Oh, I don't want him to turn it off. Just can you get him to turn it down?" And the woman said to me, she said, "Oh, do you want to talk to the police directly?" And I'm like, "No, just tell them to, you know, get him to turn it down a little." And I realized later I should have said, "Oh, yeah, let me talk to the police cuz I could have made a little more of a push." <laughs> yeah. So, um the last two and a half years of my fears have been more running amok than normal because of my isolation on top mm-hmm. of already mm-hmm. isolating before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a, I just, I've been going, I, I haven't had, thank God, anything like threatening, but I've been going from one health crisis to another. Um, and my latest crisis, health crisis du jour is my 
my knees um, and I've had tears. This is very common, meniscus tears since the early 2000s. And I, mm -hmm. I was in, in a three month asthma flare up and I was, my, my mindfulness was not uh, high at the time. And I slipped off of a, like an eight inch, like raised platform where I sit in the sun and my mm -hmm. feet dropped down and it aggravated my right knee. And it's been, this was May 31st, my knee's been swollen and hurting mm -hmm. and I'm getting Sorry. medical attention. Thank Good. you. Um, I'm getting, I have an MRI in a week and a really good doctor. So I'm, good. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting myself emotionally prepared for the surgery, even though mm -hmm. I haven't been told. Uh, you don't. You don't know what's going to happen. No, but I've been living with this since early since the 2000s, so I, I have an idea that it's different this time. Okay, um, it's might, probably might not going to go away on its own. But we're not talking about knee replacement, hopefully. If I, I'm, I'm, I'll actually be happy with just meniscus surgery. But what I'm do, where the fear is coming in is fear of the surgery and fear of the anesthesia. Mm -hmm. And for me, even though I can elect, I think I can elect um, regional. Mm -hmm. It's still being out of it and not being in control, not being aware. Um, it's mm -hmm. very similar when when we started meditating it 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 reminded me of what my fear is because my fear was coming up of letting go as i was meditating letting mm -hmm. go of control mm -hmm. and it was kind of like how i i thought it might feel <clears throat> when i was going to be given the anesthesia to to make me not aware and um so many things you said i could are, are related to what i'm talking about because mm -hmm. um yeah so, so it really um you know good luck with the knee and body duke is a drag but it's part of the deal for all of us and you know you know, i've had my own uh, uh ligament tears that I've been dealing with for the last number of years and uh, haven't had surgery, but I have had, um, I can't remember what it's called, protein-rich plasma treatments, which were shots and stuff to try to get the ligament to remember that it was hurt and re-heal itself. And, um, and, uh, and I've done a bunch of things and, you know, everything's helped and nothing's, it's not gone away. It's part of living with older bodies, in my understanding. Um, but your, your dedication is really important to be aware of for just being kind to Andrew and to Andrew's body, even though Andrew gets scared about being out of control. And so staying aware of the fear helps to bring courage to the foreground. Yeah, I'm going to try to practice working that muscle you were talking about, because mm -hmm. I think that 
it's going to help me be in a better place if I do have to have surgery. surgery. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you do, you know, we'll all go with you. Actually, there's a side of me that that would welcome getting my obviously I would welcome getting my knee fixed because uh-huh. it's always it's always been um, prone to 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 flare ups, but not like this. And it's never gotten yeah. swollen. But to be able to bike and walk sure, with sure. less pain or no pain, it's yeah. very attractive to me. Yeah, and, my, well, and and I have a fear of not being able to to, to um, be as mobile as I want, which is more strong than the fear of the surgery. Yeah, which yes. helps me get through it. Right. Well, you're seeing where your heart's drawn, which is you want to be alive in that way, and it's beautiful to watch your heart, or feel your heart, or sense your heart that wants to be alive. Because that's right here, and it's alive right now, that heart. Good luck. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, thanks, Andrew. Got a couple minutes. Anybody else? Amy, hey, where'd you go? There you are. Hi. Hi. Um, let's see if I can make it short. I had a couple of things to riff. I had a couple of riffs in one question, but maybe I'll hold back the question. Um, I just wanted, well, first of all, I think Krishna had a flute for that very same reason. <laughs> the, the don't fuck with me flute. Uh-huh. I made me think of Krishna. But, um, but the other thing is, is that I notice when I'm working with um, fears, um, it has a lot to do with um, focus. Right. So when I change my focus, I know that it's it 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 it, it like for example, if you say faith is focus. Wait, so wait, say that again. The last faith thing. Faith is focus. Faith, faith is focus. Yeah. Okay. So when I'm moving through um, a challenging time, and I'm working with the fear, um, I notice that if I change the focus. It, it somehow allows the faith to take over the fear, you know, mm-hmm. like it, 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 it is empowering in that moment. Yes. Um, and, you know, going back to what you were saying about um, love being the op, well, you know, we also hear that love is the opposite of fear. And mm-hmm. so that's another thing. If you, if you think about that, um, as far as courage and love goes, and what I'm saying too about having faith and changing mm-hmm. focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing that helps me is to just, complete, you know, continually as a practice to lean back on impermanence, mm-hmm. back on impermanence. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. that's also another sort of like, you know, changing, changing focus and right. then, you know, leaning into that faith. Right. So we'll slow down. So lean back into the impermanence and then deal with what's difficult from, yeah, from that place that is faithful and is true. It's right. almost like but, I leverage it. Yeah, you know, well, like I can like leverage into impermanence. Yes. And yeah, well, changing focus. The, the Buddha said, if if you get one thing that I've taught, get the truth of impermanence. Everything else comes from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was it. 
I know we're getting close to time. No, no, it's okay. We can go over. What's the question? <laughs> oh, the question was, is so this was years ago before I was kind of thinking about faith and focus and all that sort of thing. But I, I had a, um, uh, like a really heavy out of body experience during meditation. And at that time, this was probably mm, like 20 years ago. At that time, it was too much for me. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was just curious with you regarding the dinosaurs. Right. What, what was your way to stay with the experience? God knows what my way was. I just, I, you, I've just partly it's because I've done so much practice that it's almost like that's all I know to do. But I've also had experiences where it's like, get me out of here. And I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't stay here, which happened on my last retreat that I sat for a month at the Forest Refuge. I had a really hard time for a while. I mean, for a while, meaning like for at least a week, maybe it was two weeks, I don't even want to remember. It was like, it was just like all I wanted was out of here. It was so, I was going through something that's, that, where that happens, where it's just terror. And, and it was so hard to stay. And I was weeping at times because all I wanted to do was leave. All I wanted to do was leave. And I got, I got support from the teachers who were there. And that helped me to just stay. And then when it changed, it wasn't because I did something. I just stayed and it went And then it was like, I was okay. And it was gone, but it was going through it, not around it. Right. And it took, I used all the support I could get, believe me. I kept thinking, I thought afterwards, I said, oh, they're never going to let me go back there because I just needed to talk to the teacher so much, really, because I was really having a hard time. And, uh, and recently I found out, oh, I, got, I talked to them and they said, oh, it'd be great to have you back. How are you? Da, 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 da. So, you know, it's just part of what happens for us as human beings. We're vulnerable, all of us. And I mean, everybody here. It's part of the deal. And really being with our vulnerability is part of what's freeing. Mm -hmm. So... Good to see you. Thank you for the question and staying on. We'll just uh, take a moment and do a little sharing of merit. And I'm going to go back to gallery view. Um, taking a moment to reflect about on our good fortune that we can be here. We can practice together for the benefit of ourselves and our friends and our loved ones and for all beings. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from dukkha, free from fear. May all beings discover the courage of their hearts, of their true hearts, of their Buddha hearts. May all beings everywhere be free. Thank you, everybody. Good to be with you. I'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye.
Thank you. Good to see you wherever you are, in bed or wherever. <laughs> okay. Take care. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.